Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful privilege it is to know this, that we no longer have to go up to a tabernacle and seek the presence because of one priest. But now we are the living tabernacle because we've got your Holy Spirit who lives in us. And this was made available by your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we sing to you that you are holy, holy, holy. And this is your house. And now we know why it is. When David wrote, I was glad when they said, we must come up to the house of the Lord. So bless this gathering by the anointing of your spirit and may the name of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, be lifted up because unto you belongs all the glory, the honor and the praise. And if you believe this, then we all say, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ben. Thank you once again. There are some songs that you just can never get tired of because they are not songs. They are means of worshiping and praising our God. And it's great to see all these beautiful faces again. And we trust we're going to see you this weekend also at the upcoming, well, this upcoming weekend at the, um, the fun day, the fun day. I always say, I wonder for who it's more fun, for the parents or for the children. And I don't want you to feel restricted. You know, they always say they are jumping castle for the kids. And now read the fine print. Where does it say just for kids? So please, if we see parents at the jumping castles, we will just turn a blind eye. You are allowed to enjoy and we are allowed to have fun. You know, it's something that really bothered me when I was, uh, 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 well, when I got saved because the way that I was raised in terms of the denomination where I was and in terms of my Christianity was, how would you recognize a Christian? It's the person who walked like this the whole time. They had the weight of the world on their shoulders and you never saw a smile because you know, it was not known that a Christian must be happy. This is how I was raised, and therefore to be a Christian for me was a hard thing. I, I, I struggled with it, and then I realized, but there's nothing in God's Word that says that we must walk like this. We have come to the light. The light is in us. We have got the revelation. There is nothing in this world that we need to fear or need to worry because God has got us. We are safe. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He knows you and I by name. We can rejoice and be glad in it because he who knew no sin became sin for us. There's no such thing that we must carry the burdens and the worries and the cares of this world on our shoulders. That it was upon Christ. He did that. You and I must walk in the gladness and in the joy. Why do you think God says, for it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength? Not the murmuring, the complaint, or the hardness of life. It is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. You know, it is said that God created the world in six days. We know that. But it is said that God can do it again. It will only cost him six days to do it. It costed him six days then to create this whole world, and he can do it again. God can do it all over again. But it costed God his son to bring redemption to the whole world, and that can never be done again. Because that price was paid once, 
and forever and for all. If that could be done all over again, it means that the work of Christ is not complete and finished, which means then when he said on the, on the cross, it is finished, that he was lying. It costed God his son, and he paid that price. To do the world all over again is a small thing for him, but the price he paid for his son, that power we have. And you know, for Everyone in the world, believers and unbelievers, there is salvation available. Everybody can get saved. Salvation is available to everyone in the world. But the spirit of truth is only available to believers. Because if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are a born-again believer, and then you have got the spirit of truth. The world can have salvation, but the world cannot have the spirit of truth. For it is the spirit of truth that reveals to us the signs of times, that gives us the ability to determine and distinguish between what's right and wrong, what's evil and what's good, what is truth and what is error. And you have the Holy Spirit in you if you're a born-again believer. And this is why we hold on to the things that God says and believe in it. Because if you look at where the world is right now, and every single week it seems there's more and more and more in rapid continuation evil things that we hear of and the bad things that we hear of. But doesn't our Bible teach us in the book of Matthew 24 and also in the book of Luke? It says that there will be wars and rumors of wars. These will be the birth pains, it says. Wars and rumors of wars. Okay, so we tick that box because that's happening. Nation will rise up against nation. We'll tick that box because that is happening. Kingdoms will rise up against kingdoms. Well, that's happening right now, so that box is ticked. There will be famines. You can tick that one. There will be earthquakes in many places. For sure, we can tick that one. So where is this leading up to? It is so close at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not be fooled because the spirit of truth testifies to this. And when you look at birth pains, it takes a period of time, but the closer you get to giving birth is the contractions becoming shorter and shorter and more frequent. Now, if you just look at the last month, how more frequent these things that I have just mentioned, how more frequently they are happening, then you must realize how close it is that the coming of our Lord is at hand. We cannot play games with this. The fact is the fact and the truth is the truth that Christ is coming soon. For the world, this is bad news, very bad news. But for us who are the believers, it is good news. In fact, it is great news because there is no scripture that I can find in here that doesn't tell me that irrespective of what season we may find ourselves in, that God is going to take care of us. God says the church will be taken care of. His bride is going to be taken care of. We don't need to fear anything. So whoever says whatever out there in the world and in the news and what you listen from your neighbor or the school teacher or the fellow parent there or your working colleague, what they say and what contradicts this word 
is of no significance or importance. That's on them. You only find yourself in this hour, in this word, because in this is life and life eternal. You don't even have to watch the news anymore. You don't ever, ever need to read the news anymore. You stop at a petrol station, and I find it often when I speak to the petrol attendants, oh, the load shedding, I complain about the load shedding, oh, you know, the crime, oh, the potholes. You don't, have, you don't have to know what's going wrong in the country because the people are so keen to share with us what is going wrong in this country. But try and speak to somebody about something positive and good. You will have to search far and wide to find such a person. And yet, when you do that, I have seen where a conversation turns like this when you start just speaking good things and say, yes, but it's in the hands of God. We must pray for this government. It's amazing how quickly people change that. But it's because we have the spirit of truth in us. And we know the difference between what's truth and what is error. And the world is fearing this. Listen to what it says here. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, which is the Holy Spirit. This is our Lord Jesus speaking. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, him being the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. We have got the Holy Spirit in us, which is the Spirit of truth, and it is He who testifies of Jesus Christ, and we are the voices, and we are the vessels to bring that to this world. There is a lot of bad news in this world. And if we go to the book of Acts 9, I want to start, and I'm not going to read everything in there, but this is be the foundational scripture for this morning. It starts with bad news. Because this world marvels and revels in bad news. But I love how God approaches bad news. Because there's always good news at the end of it. The bad news shall not and should not and must not paralyze us. Listen to what it says in Acts 9 verses 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This is Saul, well known, well known Saul all over by the Pharisees, those in Jerusalem, and those in the outer skirts of the other countries and other cities. They know of Saul. He was breathing murder, and he was breathing threats coming against the children of God. Do we not have the souls out there in the world at the moment? They are breathing these threats against us. And yet in all of this, should we become concerned or perturbed by this? Because God still got us and we have to believe it. God still holds us in the palm of his hand. He still, still got us. You know, Saul went and he left, but God intervened and he stopped him outside the gates of Damascus. Saul was not going to move any further because outside is evil and the Lord will not allow the evil to come into the inside. Listen to what Revelation 22:15 says. It says, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and those whoever loves and practice a lie. They are outside, which means that God is not covering them. 
In this world, there are a plenty of those, but they stand outside. They will not come in because God will always keep the enemy outside if there's a reason for him to do so. And it is because there is a church on the inside. What kept God from letting Saul entering into Damascus? Breathing murder. It was because inside of Damascus, there were believers. They were the church of God, the believers in Christ. Because we are looking at five to seven years now after the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. God was protecting those people inside Damascus. God will always protect His people. He will always be a shield unto them. That outside the enemy may huff and they may puff and they may shout and they may threat and they may scream. But they will not come in as long as we have got God for us fighting for us, but there must be a holy and a pure bride for God to do that. And that was found in the city of Damascus. God meets the enemy outside and he silences him. He blinds Saul and he stops him from doing what he intends to do. And now we read in the rest from verse 10 to verse 19. Now God, there are three players here. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he appears in a vision to Saul and he appears in a vision to Ananias. So we've got Jesus Christ, and we've got Saul, and we've got Ananias in these next 10 verses. Who is this Ananias? What is the great significance about this Ananias? What is said of him? It is said here, this is what's written of him. He's a disciple, so he's of no great significance. He's not an apostle. He's not like Peter or John or like the evangelist Philip. He's just a follower of Christ. Later on, Paul would write of him in Acts 22, verses uh, 12 to 16. He writes there, he was a devout Christian according to the law and a good testimony with all of the Jews. 15 verses in the Bible written about Ananias. And he's the one whom God sends to Saul, who would later write an impact, more than 15 books in the New Testament. Who is this man that God would use him to silence the fearful soul that came? God's, or our Lord Jesus Christ speaks now to Ananias. And he says to him, he must go to Saul. And Ananias responds as every single one of us would most probably do as well. Listen to verse 13. Ananias answered and he said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And Ananias doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go to Saul because he has heard of Saul. How many of us have heard of the bad things in this world and we did not move? We were moved by what we've heard from the world out there, but not hearing God and what God wanted us to do. And don't be too hard on yourself, and this is not my purpose this morning because there are plenty of exa examples in the Bible of people who did exactly that. But it is how they responded to their initial resistance what caused a change. Moses was told to go to Egypt 
And he resisted God because he gave all the excuses why he was not able to go, not be able to speak in front of people. Whom shall he say he sent him? All the reasons why he shouldn't go. In the end, he relented and he went, and we know who Moses became. Jeremiah said to the God, I'm too young to be a prophet. And God said, speak of it no more. Don't speak this foolish thing again. And he became a powerful prophet to the tribe of Judah. Jonah said to God, I cannot and I will not go to Nineveh. And in the end, he had to repent and relent. And look what happened to the whole city of Nineveh. God saved. God is not moved by what we want to do. But God has always got a plan what we have to do because there's something greater in mind. Ananias resisted because of what he heard. And then the Lord spoke to him again and he made it very clear to him what was his purpose with Saul, what was his plan with Saul, where Saul was to be found in that city, being very specific. Go walk and find in the street of straight, in the house of Judas, you will find Saul. He is the one who's praying. God makes it very clear where he's sending us to and what his plan is. And so we find it in the Word of God. For your life and for my life, God is never unsure or uncertain what He wants to do and what He wants us to do. God is very clear about this. We can never accept what the world is trying to cause us to fear because God has got our back and He is a shield. Listen to Psalm 3 verses 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, and you are my glory, the one who holds my head high. Verse 4 of Psalm 3, I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. And verse 5, I lay down and I slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. God struck Saul with blindness, and Ananias heard of Saul, of what he was doing, and now he was Concerned because the enemy was outside when God struck him. But now the Lord's saying the enemy is inside. He's inside in Damascus and he's in a specific house. But the enemy has been struck by God and God has got a different plan. This is what we don't see. That if God sends us out, there's always a greater plan than what you and I can comprehend. That what God has for us. He didn't want to go. But here is the whole thing. It was not whom Ananias was supposed to go to. It was whom Saul was supposed to meet. Because only when Ananias arrived, the things start changing for Saul. This man, who is of no significance, only 15 verses in the Bible referencing him, had a great impact on the life of Saul. And here is the thing. The moment that Ananias came to Saul, two words he spoke that broke everything else. He said, Brother Saul. At that moment, Ananias, knowing who he was in Christ, imagine for a moment who Saul was at that moment. Here's a person being struck with blindness. I think Saul was greatly confused. Everything that he knew and that he believed was all taken from under his feet because the very God who he thought he knew 
silenced him and blinded him. And whatever he thought he knew, here the Son of God was speaking and telling him that he must go to Damascus and there he will receive further instruction. Our Lord Jesus appears to him in a vision now. And now he's waiting in a strange city, in a strange town, a stranger's house, with other people being blind, having not eaten or drinking anything for three days, waiting to hear from a man who he's never met before. This is what was awaiting Ananias when he came to that house. And he greets him and he says, Brother Saul, that moment Ananias steps down and he puts Saul on equal footing. And he raises him up and he gives him comfort and courage. That was the first impression that Saul had from Ananias. First impression. You win or lose someone with first impressions. And many people have done it wrong with first impressions, including me. So let's learn from it. Learn from how Ananias did it. I still remember the first time I set my feet in this church. I was sitting there at the back. And the first thing that struck me is a song that I heard the week before. But the, the tune was catchy. And that night, the band played that same song. And then later on, those words would become pivotal to my life. And it's years ago, that song, I think it was sung by Yilsong United at the time, or just Yilsong. So it says these words, come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. That's what struck me. The first impressions I got when I walked in this church on that night. And when the preacher came to the pulpit and he started preaching, I'd never heard a preacher preach such as this. And I've been to a few churches. That man was on fire, unapologetic about the truth, speaking God's word, bringing it to life. That was Pastor Harold 22 years ago, and he's still speaking it today. He has not changed since then. That was the first impression when I walked into this church. What was yours? What was your first impression? I still remember when I came to a home cell. I didn't want to go to a home cell. I was too shy, too afraid that I would be found wanting, knowing very little about the Word of God. That was my reason why I didn't want to go to a, a, a home cell. And this one gentleman phoned me. I was literally about to depart for my honeymoon, and he said um, he would like to invite me to his home cell. And I said to him, well, I'm about to leave for my honeymoon. And he said, no, I'll phone you when I get back. I thought, okay, well, whatever. And he did. And then he said, we would love to have you in our home cell. We look forward to meeting you and your wife. And he asked me, by the way, how was your honeymoon? Somebody cared for me. My first impression of home cell was that man, what he did, because I was impressed and I wanted to go to that home cell. What is the first impression that you leave? What is that first impression that you leave? First impressions are so pivotal. The first impression when I got saved was in this church. That night, Pastor Adult was showing, um, what do you call it, the, the, the old firms, you know, on those projectors. And there was a crusade taking place. And a man was standing on a pulpit. Never heard of this man, do not know what it is. It was black and white. So it happened obviously many years ago. And on the pulpit, they brought a man on a stretcher. And this man could not move. And this minister started preaching the word, and then he would minister to this man. 
At the end of that service, that man walked up from that stretcher on the pulpit and walked out. And I realized I do not know that God. I was playing games with my life. I thought I was a Christian, but I realized I did not know that Jesus. 16-year-old boy, his parents invited him to a church service. There was a visitor in town and a traveling evangelist. And it was known that he was going to be there for 11 weeks, preaching for six days a week. This 16-year-old child said, there's no way he's going to go. This sounds more like a um, religious circus that's going to take place. The parents went a few days, and then a news article in the local newspaper about this particular evangelist. He wrote an article in saying that he has got affidavits from students in a particular school where, where they were taking place certain irregular happenings during a particular lunch hour. And it turned out that there was sexual immorality taking place. And he said he had affidavits from students to attest to this. The town was in uproar about this. And this got the curiosity of that 16-year-old boy because it was also written in that article the children were in uproar about this and they were going to rebel against this evangelist. They were getting ready the next night to go and meet up at this tabernacle where this preacher was preaching and there were talks of they are getting ready to harm him. And this 16-year-old boy thought, great, this has got my attention. I'll bring my friend and all the workers on the farm. He got his truck into town, they go. That night when that evangelist stood up there, he preached. Nothing happened to him with anything concerning the children. That 16-year-old boy listened to this preacher and he heard sermons that he never heard before. Addressing sin, talking about money, how to be a responsible steward concerning God's money. He heard this minister preaching about the second coming of Christ. And for the first time in his life, he heard someone preaching about hell. Never in his 16 years did he hear anybody preaching about hell. And I think in this world we need to preach more about hell. Because this world is just saying too much. And I've got too much to say about how we must change this Bible and accept certain standards and norms because we must please their sinful nature. If we preach about hell and they come to know that there was a price that was paid and if they do not accept that they are going to hell and if they resist this, they resist the Christ who died for me and for you. How dare they do that? We must preach about hell so that they come to know what is the truth concerning this world. That unless they change, they are going to a place that is not destined for them. That kind of preaching touched a 16-year-old boy. And he was there every night after that. And soon he came to realize whenever this minister preached, he was pointing his finger. And he and his friend said, this is getting too much. Because this preacher is always pointing his finger at us. This is how they perceived it. And he said that we need to change our strategy. So they decided the following night, we're going to sit behind the choir and we're going to get these hymn books and put it in front of our faces and we'll pretend that we're singing, but nobody's going to know. But this preacher won't see us. But they still went. And then the night came not long after that, that a call was made, an altar call that was made. And this young boy felt himself standing up and he said, never in his life, that his feet felt like lead, like that. He found himself walking, but he more wanted to turn back and go into his seat. And on the way 
to the pulpit, a woman passed him and she was crying and he thought, what was wrong here? Because he felt nothing. He just had his feet walking. And as he was about to turn around, there was someone beside him and said, and this was a family friend, and he said to him, I'm with you. I'm going to walk with you. I will be there and I will lead you in the sinner's prayer. That changed this young boy's life forever. Later on, he became a minister, and he would make it specifically in his ministry that at the altar calls, there would be somebody to welcome someone and walk with them all the way and never let them feel that they were alone. That 16-year-old boy was Billy Graham, and his life was touched because of this. And you know what ministry he did in the kingdom of God. Yes, let's give God a praise offering, but a proper one. Hallelujah. The love of God compels us to have compassion on people and to be obedient to Him. Because here is the real, the, the, the real crux of the story. When Ananias arrived and met up with Saul, he had a message for Saul. And I'm putting it in layman's terms. He said to Saul, Saul, God's got a plan for you. God's got a plan for your life. He's going to send you that you proclaim the name of Jesus you're going to go to the Gentiles, you will go to the kings, and you will go to the children of Israel. You see, here is the crux. It was never about Ananias. It is never about the messenger. It is always about the message. The message will change people, not the messenger. This world, and even in some Christian circles, it is more about the messenger, who I am, what qualifications I am, how long I've been in the ministry. God is not moved by that. It's always about the message. You and I are the message out there. We reveal Christ to the world. We are the message. We cannot disqualify ourselves by thinking we cannot do this because that is giving Satan the victory. We are the message and the message is Christ. And we speak that message. Christ will give us the audience to do so. And here's the beauty of it. God uses this example of Saul and of Ananias. Here's the spiritual context of it. Saul came and he represented the false church. And the false church is led by Satan. And he sends his worst. The one who supposedly brings fears. Who breathes murder. The one who brings the world into fear. And the one whom we should take notice of. That everybody hears from. That's what Satan does. God sends only a believer, and the believer silences. He silences. The believer silences all the words of the enemy because Ananias represented the true church. God is not moved by man's acumen or his, all his credits he may have. He uses only a believer because the believer knows he's got the authority and he's got the power. Through Christ, we have that authority and power. And then Ananias came. Yes, let's give God a proper praise offering. If we do that, we give it to the King of Kings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To Him alone be the glory. Him alone be the glory. And when Ananias came, and I'm closing off, listen to what Ananias did. Because here God says to Saul, when you're going to go out, this is what you are going to do. Because God defines what the church must do. And Ananias comes, he lays his hands on Saul, and immediately Saul's eyesight is returned. The first miracle that Saul experienced was him personally. His eyes were restored. 
And how did this happen? It's because Ananias had the Holy Spirit upon him. And Ananias went now, and because of laying hands on Saul, it says there, and Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot have any victory out there in the world except it is by the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit came because Christ paid the price, and we have the victory when we walk in the Holy Spirit, in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is how the enemy is silent. The church of God must be the one where miracles, signs, and wonders happen because that is what Christ came to die for. And he said, same works and more we will do than he did. The church that doesn't do miracles where there are no deliverance and no miracles is a church that is void of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then we are not doing what God has commissioned us to do. He did that. And what did he do next? He baptized Saul. We as the church must baptize people in water and they must get baptized in the Spirit. And then lastly, after all of this, he took Saul with him and with the fellow brethren, and they were together. The fellowship of the saints is the critical component that most churches forsake and that they fall flat with. It is taking care of the community, encouraging one another, because you and I cannot walk alone in our walk with God. In all of this, Satan gave his best and sent his worst to come to Damascus. God just sent a man who was a disciple, a devout Christian, and well-respected amongst his fellow Jews. That who's God, and they're all sitting here. All of you are sitting here today, including me. We have that ability to go out and silence all the noises of the world out there. Whatever they are throwing at us will be like water on a duck's back because you know what? Nothing is going to happen to the church because the church belongs to Christ. Only Christ can permit things to happen to the church. And he says, hallelujah, he says that we are his bride. Will the groom let the bride suffer? Will the groom separate himself from the bride? Never, not in this word, not the God that I and you serve. This is who we are and what we have. Therefore, go out and be the message. Be the Ananias and you will do great works because look at who Saul became. And Ananias was the first person that he saw, was the first person with whom a miracle took place. Who are the souls waiting out there that you must go and be the witness to, to be the message to? Hallelujah. Let's stand and give the Lord a praise offering. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before we go, just to remind all then, for those who want to purchase breakfast, that uh, the little false Christian breakfast tickets will be there at the opposite counter from the information desk. We've got the card machines, it's cash as well, so please, 18th of March, that is on the Saturday, all right. Now, let's raise our hands to the heavens. Oh, Holy Father God, in the hour that we are living in, we know what is coming, but we are not fearful of this. It's a time such as this that you've called the church to be the message out there because great things must yet happen. Many who are lost must be saved and you are looking at us to be the message out there in this world. 
Strengthen your people then. Bless those who have come this morning. Make them a powerful voice out there in the world and strengthen them in courage, in wisdom and in knowledge, in boldness and in faith in Christ Jesus. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. The Lord God bless you and keep you. The Lord God make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord God lift up His countenance over you and grant you His eternal peace. We pray this in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we all say, Amen. Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.